welcome to the podcast. I hope um, everybody's having a great day. It's certainly a really, really great day here in Gallatin, Tennessee, where I live. I'm at home today, and we're hitting the road tonight for a couple of gigs down in Texas and um, one in Oklahoma. And then after that, I get to get in my car and drive up to visit my daughter in Canada. She lives in Toronto area, and she actually goes to the same high school that Jim Carrey went to, Aldershot. It's near Hamilton, Ontario. It's kind of in between Hamilton and Burlington. Anyway, enough about that. I thought this week I would take the time to answer some questions that I have gotten. Uh, So time will go by, and I will field a few questions every once in a while people write in or they ask questions on social media or someone will just i'll just be talking to somebody at a gig backstage could be somebody helping to load in it could be just somebody that you know i signed an autograph or something and they have a few questions to ask about playing the drums or whatever and sometimes uh, they'll say hey i hope you don't mind if i ask you some questions like my son wants to play drums or something and i am so happy to answer questions i actually really love it because I've been playing drums for 40 years now, professionally, more more than that, like playing, but I'm making a living at playing drums. I've been doing it for over 40 years now. And when you do something for that long, you, you know, you can't help but to just kind of maybe not be an expert. Well, yeah, okay, okay. I'm, I'm a little bit of an expert at certain things, but only because I've been doing it so long, it's insanely... Uh, just like in my brain, everything I do and everything I remember and things that I've learned the hard way and all that kind of, and stuff that I've just figured out along the way that makes my job easier. And I like to share those things with people that write in or ask me questions. And so sometimes when someone asks me a question, I'll either remember it in my mind or I'll write it down. I'll jot it down on my phone for a future podcast that I may answer questions. So here we are. Um, so the first question that I am going to answer is somebody asked, what's the most difficult part about being a drummer? What's the most difficult part? Well, I would say really the most difficult to me uh, personally, it's not difficult. Playing drums is not difficult. And ever since I was young, I always could just play drums. I just knew that, that I could do that. That would just came very natural. And I sort of thought as I was growing up and I was a naive kid, I kind of thought everybody could. I just thought, well, who who can't play that drum beat? I mean, can't everybody? And that was just my me being naive and not realizing that, that that maybe there was a little bit of maybe I was supposed to do that. Maybe there's a little bit of natural ability there to play drum beats and to to listen to a drum beat on the radio and go, oh, I know exactly what they're doing there with the bass drum and the hi hat and the snare and the cymbals and all that stuff. I could just hear that and figure it out in my mind. Just had a knack for doing that. So what's the most difficult part about being a drummer? I would say the most difficult part about being a drummer personally is keeping up with all of the equipment because let's say if you're a guitar player, now not to say that guitar players don't have a ton of equipment. They have amps and they have chords and they have stomp boxes and all that. Yeah, that's a lot to keep up with for sure, definitely. And I really feel for them from an electronics wiring nightmare kind of scenario standpoint i really feel sorry for people that have to do deal with a lot of electronics but being a drummer it's a lot of practical mechanical things that you have to keep up that break all the time that you either have to fix or replace or in the worst case scenario is play a gig when you know you're on stage or in the middle of a gig you can't just stop the gig and say hold on i got to go run to a music store and pick up a drum stool because this one just broke. You can't do that. You have to learn how to make the gig work with without buying something new. So you either have to fix it in between sets or very quickly. And now when we play clubs and things like that, we would do like 45-minute set and then 15 minutes off and then another 45-minute set. And so those 15 minutes to me, because we did play so much, we played like six nights, sometimes seven nights a week when we would play like a Tuesday through Saturday gig. And then Sunday and Monday, we would be booked somewhere else playing. So that's like seven nights a week playing multiple sets every night. And you get pretty good at what you're doing, but you also break a lot of stuff and you get pretty good. Well, I got pretty good at fixing a lot of things in that 
tiny little 15 minute window when I could actually, you know, uh, the rest of the band would go take a break and, you know, go get a cup of coffee or talk to their friends or whatever and like go to the bathroom, <laughs> take a, like a real actually break. And I would be stuck back there trying to fix something that broke uh, on my kit and trying to get through the gig. And so if any drummer that's been doing it for a while can certainly attest one of the most difficult parts about being a drummer is keeping up with all the equipment and you crack cymbals and you break sticks. I've had situations before where I've broken so many sticks that on a given gig, I like ran out of good sticks and I had to flip them around and play on the butt end of broken sticks for uh, a few days because I was just either broke or I just couldn't get to a music store we were on the road or something and maybe we're out in the, like doing a festival or something like that where there's no music store around and you just have to deal with what you've got. Now, in one case, we were down in the Cayman Islands when Hurricane Gilbert had hit in 1989. Yes, I was there. I was on the Cayman Islands uh, doing a gig with Canyon and our equipment did not make it to the this flight, on this flight when we flew down there and we were supposed to do this private show for a big record distributor and we had no equipment now a couple of the guys had carried on their guitars and things like that so we we scrounged together enough to do kind of a show but i had no stick bag they had drums there they had drums that they had in a little this little place this little uh thing that we were playing in kind of like a club but it was really more of a performance arts kind of little place they had drums there and i had no the drummer that would normally play there they said took off on the, he would leave when he's not playing, he would go back to the States from the Cayman Islands. And I was supposed to play his drums and he took his stick bag with him. So had no sticks on the island and I had to make some drumsticks out of whatever I could find. So I found a couple of wooden dowels somewhere in a, like a maintenance closet or something. And I took apart a chair in the, one of the hotel rooms, the wooden chair. I took apart some of the little round the dowel things that were in the chair. I took apart some clothes hangers that had those wooden dowels in it that you put your pants on that have a little wooden dowel that goes through the bottom part of the hanger of the wooden hanger. I grabbed a couple of those and I just basically made drumsticks as many as I could because I knew it was made out of cheap pine and it was going to break if I started playing, if I started hitting cymbals with it and everything. So needless to say, I made that gig work just by scrounging together whatever I could. And if I hadn't have been such a MacGyver, which is kind of what they call me now, the MacGyver of the band, because I can fix just about anything. If I hadn't been such a MacGyver, I don't know what I would have done. I would have played like the tambourine or played with my fingertips or something more of like an acoustic set, like playing the congas or something. I could have done that, but I really wanted to be able to play. You know, we had a bass player and a keyboard player and two guitar players and that kind of thing. And I needed to be able to keep up with them and make enough noise to make our music sound like our music. So I had to come up with some sticks. So I did. And over the years, I have come up with so many fix-it things on the kit using tape, coat hangers, and uh, just parts, other parts of the kit. I remember one time I took the bottom of my floor tom, the bottom head of my floor tom off, and duct taped it to the kick drum because I'd cracked the kick drum clean through. And I needed to be able to hit the bass drum. So I took the, the biggest drum head I could find, which was the floor tom, and I put it on there. And this was back when I could have used the front drum head because most drums come with two heads, a front and a back. But the front drum head was cut out completely. It was one of those back in those days when you would just cut that completely out, put a pillow in there, and then you could put a microphone anywhere you wanted to in that whole thing. So I had no front head. I just had the cracked drum head, bass drum head. And so I took the floor tom head off just thinking, like, how am I going to fix this? And I put it on there and I duct taped it on. I turned the head around to where when I hit it, it was hitting flat against the bass drum head. And so it was just kind of like a patch on it. And I duct taped it on there. And then I remember after that, the sound man came up to me after that night and he said, dude, I don't know what you did to that kick drum, but it's sound. And I was waiting for him to say it sounded like crap. But he said, that kick drum sounds better than it has ever sounded. <laughs> and I think only because... It was, of course, it was cracked, but I put that head on there loose, loose meaning like I just duct taped it on there and it was just kind of flapping loose. So when I hit it with that beater, it hit, it had a thud that just like, and it sounded 
it sounded really good to him and he was able to get a good sound out of it. So I thought, man, maybe I should just keep it that way. <laughs> but of course, you know, it, it wouldn't last. The duct tape would come loose and it would just be a problem. But it got me through the night and I was able to salvage that gig and play. And actually it made an improvement, which it was surprising to me. But um, that I would say in answering to that question is one of the most difficult parts about being a drummer besides the traveling and the rehearsal schedules can be grueling and having to, uh, the physical aspect of it, if you're tired, if you're sick or something like that, having to get up there and play. That never was difficult for me personally, because when I get up there on stage, if I'm sick or I have a cold or the flu or anything like that, I somehow, my body goes into this sort of focused mode um, where I kind of like adrenaline or something. I just, all that stuff goes away. And I play the set with, with full intensity as if nothing was wrong. And my body just does that. It just goes to this place that is like adrenaline city. And then as soon as I come off stage and the set is done, then it'll all come back. The cold or the flu or whatever it is that's wrong with me. If I do get sick, it will come back. But for some reason, my adrenaline will stave off that that weirdness, that, that, that groggy feeling, whatever it is that makes you not feel good. And I will feel perfect for the hour and a half or whatever we have to do the show. And then as soon as I come off, it's, it's all, it's all on again. So, um, and I can get whatever medication I need and try and get it done. But for some reason, when I go up on stage, all that's gone. So that is one difficult part about being a drummer. And that's about all I can think of as far as the most difficult part about being a drummer, the equipment, keeping up with stuff that breaks, and just the physical, when you don't feel well, you got to get up there and play. It would be hard for any musician, a singer especially, who has got throat problems or a cold trying to sing through that. I cannot even imagine. So I can't really complain about sitting back there and hitting on things a little bit and having the flu or something like that. You know, no one would ever know it. But with a singer, it might be a lot more difficult. Okay, so I've got some coffee here. I'm going to take a sip of coffee if you don't mind. I always have to have coffee. That's just, I never sit down to do a podcast without coffee in front of me. Whether I'm with somebody or not, I always offer them coffee. And it's kind of a, that's just my thing. It's chill time. It's having some coffee and relaxing and kind of helps my brain think a little bit. Um, and it clears my throat when I'm speaking. I don't have the best speaking voice at all. I mean, that's terrible. But uh, here I am doing a podcast and talking to you guys. And I hope I don't sound too terrible. So, here we go. The next question. Uh, how does a drummer choose the type of sticks that he plays with? Like, I, I think what they mean is, if you're a drummer, do you choose uh, big, giant, fat 2B sticks? Or are there 5B, nylon tip, wood tip? What, what kind of sticks do you use? And I think that most drummers, I would say, to answer that question, most drummers start out with what style of music they're playing. Like, if they're playing jazz... Obviously, they're probably not going to, and I could be wrong here, but because I never played jazz uh, for a living before, but I would think that jazz players would not want sticks that are big, giant, what I call baseball bats. The same sticks Tommy Lee would use uh, playing a rock gig, or the guy with Bon Jovi, Tico, I think is his name, plays with these big, giant, I, I can only assume they're 2B. 2B sticks are big to me baseball bats and I used to play with 2B sticks a lot because I wanted the power I like that 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 loudness and power and I wanted to play more rock and then it got to where I was beating up the heads and cymbals things that cost me money that I had to pay for out of the, my own pocket it was um, costing me a lot of money because those sticks were just beating everything up cracking cymbals and they were denting in the heads and then of course we had other people on stage that had to hear themselves sing and this, my stage volume was just gotten so big that I had to draw it back a little bit. So when I was in Canyon, we had a deal with Dean Markley that made strings and stuff like that. But they also had sticks. And they said, hey, you can get free drumsticks if you want. So I totally jumped on that. And I looked at the ones they had. I thought maybe I should draw the pull it back a little bit and play some drumsticks that are a little bit lighter and a little more manageable and that won't beat up my kit so much. So I tried a pair that was that were 2B, which are a little thinner, smaller, and the taper is not quite, it doesn't taper so uh, gradual where you would break the tip of the stick, what you would probably play in jazz or something like that, where it's a little more delicate. 
Um, so I chose 2B, and I like the nylon tip because when it hits the ride cymbal and the hi-hat, kind of has a, a little bit more of sibilance to it. It kind of has just that plastic hitting the cymbal, has a little bit more high-end and a little bit more definition to it than a wooden tip. And I've seen drummers before play wooden tips that sound perfectly fine. You know, it's really just kind of a personal choice. Um, and one another problem with the wood tip sticks, the reason I, I did play wood tip sticks for a long time, and I was... I'm such a hard player that, especially with ride cymbal and hi-hat, things like that, is that the tip of the wood stick would chip and bits of it would break off. And I would end up with half of a tip of a stick. Does that make sense? Like I would hit it and part of the tip of the stick would, would chip away. So, and then I hit it again and then another part would chip away. And pretty soon I've kind of got like half a tip and then it just becomes kind of like a point and I can't get any sound at all out of the tip of it because it's just a bunch of mush. So <clears throat> that's when I decided to go to nylon tip. And then, of course, um, the way the Dean Markley sticks work, the nylon tip would was glued on. It was the, the tip, the, the wooden stick tapered down to a blunt taper, and then they would take the tip and sort of fit it on there with some glue. But what happened was is I would play, and the glue would, because I hit so hard, the glue inside the nylon tip would bust or break or come loose. And then the tip of the stick would fly off, and I would end up with this blood end of a wooden stick. So I'm back to score one. But it didn't happen as often as it happened with the wooden sticks. So just as an explanation, uh, I stayed with nylon tips, but I moved over to Promark. And Promark drumsticks, for those who drummers who are starting out and are interested, Promark drumsticks, the way that they put their tips on is on the wooden part where the tip fits on. There's a little tiny bit of a bulb there. Like it's just a little wider, almost a little tip, but it's a tiny little bit of a bulge at the tip of the stick. And when they when they shove that nylon tip on there and put a little glue in there, they shove it on, it goes around that, that bulge and like stretches around it and it comes back together. And I rarely ever have had a Promark tip fly off of a stick. I mean, it's happened before, but very rarely. I mean, once every maybe seven years or something. Very weird for for the uh, Promark tip to fly off. I'll break the stick before the nylon tip will come off. And uh, so that's my personal choice. So in answer to your question, how does a drummer choose what type of sticks they play with? And I think it's by trial and error. But I would say first, they probably... F- consider what genre they're playing in is it jazz is it rock is it country is it whatever and then just kind of make a choice accordingly a a a a sort of a a choice based on the style and then they may try different styles brands uh sizes things like that from there they would start with what genre they're playing in pick a stick a style of stick and then they would mess around with like go this way that way maybe a nylon tip maybe a wooden tip and then until finally they are comfortable and they get the best sound with what stick they have chosen and so they stay with that i've rarely known any drummers to change the style of stick that they play with um they usually find something they're comfortable with that feels good in their hand and they stay with that so that i hope that answers that question um okay sorry i'm gonna take another drink of coffee here Okay. Okay. Here's another question. Have you ever gotten injuries from actually playing drums? Like been injured from playing drums? Yes, I have. That's a, that's a good question, but nothing serious. I mean, it wasn't like I got stabbed with a, uh, <laughs> like a cymbal cracked apart and cut my hand or something, nothing like that. But my first injuries came when I was younger and I was new and I ha- I wasn't really playing for a living yet. I was just about maybe 17 or 18 but we would rehearse and practice. I was in a garage band that we practiced a little bit and we didn't, weren't doing any gigs, but when I would practice, the more I practiced, the more uh, I started to get um, blisters on my fingers. Um, you know, like uh, he says in Money for Nothing, Dire Straits, you may get maybe get a blister on your little finger, maybe get a blister on your thumb. Well, that, that happens with drummers when you play in that wood stick is rubbing against your skin time and time and time and time again and you're you're kind of gripping onto it it will definitely rub the skin away on your finger until 
just like guitar players have on the tips of their fingers when they play, they develop calluses. And so that's what drummers do too. They develop calluses. And I did, of course, but I never, I had always sort of undertaken that I would never play with gloves. I've seen drummers play with gloves before, and I get that. Stuart Copeland's played with gloves before. I totally get that. But I had just, my axiom was going to be that I would never play with gloves. I would, whatever, whatever was problem I was having with gripping the stick or getting my hands worn out, I would just deal with it. I would just like man up and, you know, and just, just suffer through it. And I have all these years. I have not played with gloves. Um, and what other type of injury? Uh, I had one time, now this is going to be hard to believe, but there was one time I was playing and the stick that I was playing with broke right at the tip. I mean, it didn't crack. It didn't crack in the middle because normally when you're playing a drumstick will crack kind of long ways down the stick just a little bit and it will, you can't play it anymore because it's just too weak and it's broken so you just throw it away and pick up another one well this particular one believe it or not i was playing with canyon and i hit the ride cymbal and i had that ride cymbal tilted in such a way that when i hit the ride cymbal with the stick as i was playing this tip actually broke off and bounced off the cymbal as it broke and hit me in the lip hit me in the top lip like somebody punched me and i was bleeding i was actually bleeding and my drum tech at the time brandon he went over and grabbed a see he went to the bar and he got a uh, my lip was bleeding so and i kept playing i kept going i was just like oh man it kind of it kind of shocked me for a second and i don't think that i ever missed a beat but uh it definitely kind of threw me for a shock and i was feeling my lip and i had blood coming off my lip and uh and so i picked up another stick and i continued playing but my drum tech at the time brandon was kind of appalled he's like oh my god i can't believe what happened so he immediately ran to the bar we were playing a club ran to the bar got a a had the bartender make up a a glass or a cup of warm salty water he got salt he got salt put it in with warm water not hot like coffee but warm like lukewarm water and he had me uh, swish that he goes here swish this around your mouth and i did and lo and behold it worked it stopped the bleeding i wasn't bleeding anymore it stung a little bit but um that stopped the bleeding, and I, I, that is one injury that I got from playing drums. Um, I can't really think of any other thing uh, that really was like an injury that while playing drums. Um, of course, uh, many, many times I would be playing and not remember where the snare, the rim snare was located and it was a little too close or a little too high up or something and I would get wild and crazy and I would play and on my left hand that I come down and hit the snare with my knuckle my forefinger knuckle on my left hand would inevitably hit the rim and it would cut the the skin there on the knuckle and so in the since I've got so many scars on my left um four finger knuckle and if you ever come to a meet and greet um and you've listened to this podcast come to the meet and greet i'll show you my knuckle i I will i'm not embarrassed about it i'll show you my left knuckle um four finger knuckle it's got scars on it from when i've come down and hit that tried to hit the snare and instead hit my knuckle on the rim the metal rim of the snare um and of course of course it doesn't make a sound (laughs) it just like i missed a beat and it was my knuckle hitting the rim that that uh, came down and hit. So I have injured myself there, had to put some tape on it or a bandaid or something like that. But I've had, I've had blood on my snare before. I mean, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit that. I feel like I'm really doing a good job. If I'm, if I'm actually drawing blood, I'm really rocking out. That's totally rock and roll to me. Um, so, okay. So that's that question. I hope that answers it for you. Have you ever gotten injuries from actually playing drums? Um, let's see. Okay. Here's one. How do your arms not get so tired when you're after just playing a few songs. I'm going to take a sip of coffee first and then I'll answer that. I had a keyboard player ask me that one time, a long time ago. How do your arms not just fall off? Because like he would play tennis or badminton or workout or something like that. And you know how like when you work out, you're, you're lifting stuff or whatever um, and your arms will get tired. Your arms, you have to stop and drop your arms. I'm like, oh God, my arms are about to fall off. And his question was, how do you play drums for an hour and a half pretty solid pretty solidly 
an hour and a half without your arms just like completely going numb and falling off. And the only way I can answer that really <clears throat> is that when you play drums, um, now my arms have gotten tired before when I was doing solos or something like that and playing. I've My arms have gotten tired before, but as you go along in your career and you start playing and you play more and more, you you don't use your arms in a way that like you're driving a hammer, like you use your whole arm. It's more like uh, in the wrist. You know how like people say, it's in the wrist. Well, it really is with drumming. A lot of it's in the wrist and you're in that zone and you're moving your arms around. Now, if I kept my arms completely up high, like if I held them up high and I was playing way up high or something, holding my arms up the whole time, my shoulders would give out. So it's just a thing where you're, you're in a relaxed position and you're just moving your wrist a little bit and your fingers. And that doesn't really cause a lot of tiredness, you know, but there has been times when I was doing like, uh, I used to do a lot of drum solos when I was in Canyon and way before that. And even with Lone Star, we would do, I would do this little five or 10 minute drum solo and doing like triplets for a long time or something like, yeah, my arms would, if I was really going for it, my arms would, um, really get tired you know, for a little bit, but not so tired that I couldn't play the next song. Cause you normally a drum solo, you come out of a drum solo and you go right into some other song. It's rarely ever that you just do a drum solo and then you're done. You stop. It's usually into some song, you know, when you're playing something else. So, so yeah, my arms, um, would get tired from time to time, but, um, not really, not really tired. So that like, like when you're working out tired. So I hope that answers that question. They do get tired a little bit, but not so much that I can't play. And it's been pretty, pretty easy going, you know, even in my older age, I'm almost 60 now and my arms still don't get tired. I still don't get tired arms from playing. I'm just probably just from doing it so long and muscle memory. And I've developed those muscles that a drummer needs to play drums, to keep a steady beat and play for an hour and a half or whatever. And, um, I just, I've developed those muscles in such a way, as soon as I start playing, those muscles go, oh, here we go again. All right, let's, let's uh, send some blood to those muscles and let's keep it going. So that, that's kind of what it's like. That kind of feels, I never get tired. I do start sweating though immediately. As soon as I start playing drums, my body over the years has trained itself to start uh, sweating, to start just pouring on the sweat. Even if, like, even if we would go out somewhere and there would be another band, playing in a club somewhere and we're just out visiting or something after hours after our show and they would say hey you want to come up and sit in so we would go up there and sit in sometimes and as soon as I would be playing like one song or something I'd start sweating and I thought why is it why is it I'm not even hot yet but why is it then when I start playing drums I automatically start sweating and I think it's only because my body has trained itself to do that it knows it's going to get hot it knows my brain knows that I'm it's fixing to be in for a physical time so it just started pouring on the sweat even if i wasn't really playing that hard just playing it was just like okay start sweating anyway so that's not really a you know getting tired but i would say it's it's a trait of of getting physically tired when you're sweating if you sweat for so long you're going to get tired so um what's the next question uh okay here's another question how many drum kits do you own i get that a lot because i think when people look at a drummer that's been out there for a long time making music or that, that has played on albums and they've been in a band for many years, I think they probably assume that they have a lot of kits. You know, they have tons of, of drum kits. And um, so to answer that question, yes, I do own more than one, more than two, more than three, more than three kits. <laughs> I don't, I have some in storage and uh, but I'll just tell you what the main kits that I use mostly are. Um, and some of them are just because I'm a pack rat and I just don't, there's some sentimental value attached to some drum kits. Like the one I played in Canyon, the Rogers kit that I played in Canyon was this kind of like a sky blue color. And I was sort of known people would say Keats Rainwater. Oh yeah. He plays those blue Rogers. Nobody else that I knew played blue drums like that blue rogers like that especially blue rogers um and i had had those since i was in high school believe it or not it was uh, i was a senior in high school and a friend of mine that i was in a little garage band with a singer he said hey have you seen those rogers drums they have down at zoo music 
I said, no. And he goes, dude, there, it's a double bass kit. He goes, it's got like five toms or something like that. It's totally like Neil Peart. And at that time in 81, Neil Peart was the big deal because Moving Pictures, the Rush album, Moving Pictures had just come out. So anyway, uh, I have that kit still that I played with Canyon all those years. And uh, so what's another kit? Um, so my main kit that I play out on the road is the Yamapex kit. It's like Yamaha and Mapex put together that I had custom painted. If anybody's ever seen it, it's custom painted like steampunk. You know, it's like gears and pressure gauges and pipes and things like that. It's really, really, really cool. And we get all kinds of head turns and thumbs up and uh, uh, big big eyes and everything like that when they see our kit. When it comes to, as soon as the bass drum comes out of the case, when Zach, uh, I, when uh, I said Zach, uh, when Chase is setting up my drum kit, um, who Chase is awesome. He is awesome drum tech. And he also runs our video wall and stuff like that. He's awesome. Um, as soon as Chase takes the drums out of the cases, people are like, whoa look at those man those are the coolest drums i've ever seen and um yeah a friend of mine kevin uh here in hendersonville tennessee had painted those for me he's a drummer and also paints cars and works on cars and motorcycles and things like that he's an auto body guy also a drummer a christian drummer and he painted those for me thank you kevin i appreciate that we're still getting big thumbs up for that another kid i have is the one that i play in the studio if we ever go, I say if, when we go in and cut records, um, uh, I guess the reason I said if is because it's hard for us artists, you know, that have been making music forever to go in and cut a new album because it's kind of expensive and um, we don't get to make an album like we used to every year, you know, or multiple times a year. There was a time when we were making albums all the time. Um, but I have a kit that I use in the studio. It's a Yamaha uh, vintage recording series, Yamaha, um, custom studio, custom kit, um, recording custom, Yamaha recording custom is what they are. And engineers love them. Uh, everybody, everybody, every musician that we, that we play with in the studio, every session guy looks at those and goes, yep, yep. Those are, that looks like Paul Lime's old kit, you know? Anyway, um, so I play those in the studio, and they, they, I just use those for home recording and recording. I don't ever take those out. I did take them out on the road for a short time when I was having my drums painted. This paint job that I have now took about five month, four or five months to do, so I did take my recording uh, series drums out on the road for while I was getting mine painted. So, anywho, that's the kit I use in the studio. I also have a Jelly Bean kit, which is a... Uh, clear acrylic drums from the 70s i mean these are legitimate 1970s drums that were ludwig that are ludwig and they're acrylic and the reason they call it a jelly bean kit is they're all different colors like the kick drum is green the snare is blue and this is all see-through this is all like clear and the first tom is is a yellow color and all that and um, i also believe the floor tom has a kind of a swirl sort of a red a red and clear swirl almost like a barber pole look to it anyway so that's one of the kits i have and i wanted to also mention that sometimes we do acoustic shows and my kit that i use for acoustic shows is kind of like a cocktail kit and when we do acoustic shows i'm usually sort of out front with some of the other guys with the rest of the guys and we spread across the front, kind of like the Eagles would do, like, um, uh, what was that album they did, Hell Freezes Over tour, where they're, uh, everybody's sitting out front singing. And uh, I have a kit that I set up that's very simple. It's a Ludwig. It's just a very tiny little bass drum, 16-inch bass drum, up on a kind of a stand. And a floor tom and a regular snare and my hi-hat is very simple in our crash ride symbol. No tom, no, just the one tom. Very, very simple kit, but super fun to play on acoustic shows because I can play just about any song. Well, any song that we have, I can play just about anything with just that one tom and that one cymbal and that one hi-hat. And uh, it's super fun to play. And, and you know, we're just up there making music acoustically. And that's how you can really tell if a band has any talent uh, any talent or not is, is it just watch them play with no click tracks, no nothing, no sp- fancy stuff just voices and acoustic guitars and a little percussion 
and you can really you can really tell what you know a band what talent a band has by doing that so i have that kit and i also have an older pdp kit that i got a long time ago and a few i've got a lot of snares like you know mostly when drummers play in the studio they have a multitude of snare drums and i am no exception i have a lot of snare drums that i've collected over the years some of them i've bought because I like the way they sounded or because they were left over from a kit and I sold the rest of the kit, but I kept the snare, that kind of thing. Cause when you play in the studio, you have to be able to change the snare sound at will. You have to be able to go in and play a tighter snare or a looser snare. And you just bring a whole bunch of snares with you. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the way that they do that. So that's pretty much the kit, the, the main drum kits that I have, uh, in, you know, storage or in my drum room or wherever. Um, I do have, I have been collecting for years and years, a bunch of percussion stuff. So I have a bunch of like congas and bongos and tambourines, a whole bunch of tambourines and things like that. Cause I love, I, I remember years ago for a while there, I had, I had decided that every time I went to the music store, out on the road or wherever, if I visited a music store to get drum heads or whatever, I would buy one percussion instrument because I wanted to have a whole trunk full of, I saw a percussionist one time that, well, all percussionists, when they show up in this studio to do a session, they have a trunk full of like a toy box full of percussion stuff. And they can just reach in there and get shakers and tambourines and bongos and little finger cymbals and all this different stuff. I wanted to have all that stuff, you know, so bad. So I just, decided that every time I went into the music store, I would buy at least one percussion instrument. And then over the years, I would have a bunch, which I do now. So it worked. I have a whole bunch of percussion instruments and things like that, shakers. And when I'm working on a record or anything, I can just pull out at will any of those percussion instruments and put it in front of a microphone, and it sounds great. Super fun to do. Uh, let's see. Um, here's another question that I got. Uh, how do you remember songs... And how they go. How do you remember? And I think what they mean is how how do I sit how do I learn songs? How to remember how they go? How do I remember the song in my brain and how the song goes? Like and, and I think what they mean they could be they could mean that when I'm on stage, if I'm sitting in with somebody and somebody says, hey, let's just throw this song out like at will, just like, hey, let's do um, uh, Silver Wings. You know, or let's do uh, uh, silver threads and golden, uh, golden silver. What is that? Silver threads and golden needles, whatever that song is. Um, and you have to, as a drummer, you have to kind of know how all those things go. At least the tempo and kind of the feel of it. And, you know, maybe not every single lick, but you have to at least kind of get close. And I, I don't, I'm not sure if they mean that, which I'm sure they probably mean a little bit of that. But more, I think what they mean is like, when you work up a song with the band, how do you remember how that song goes? How do you remember all the changes and all the things? Well, one thing that I kind of do, I think when I think about a song or when I'm rehearsing it, sometimes I may write it down on a piece of paper. If I'm just learning it in lines, I'll draw a line across the, the front. It's my own little way of charting it. I'll have a line that goes across with a little wall on the left and a wall on the right, like a bracket. And I'll draw that line out and I'll put verse one. And it'll have put little tick marks in there on each one that's that many measures, like four measures, four little tick marks. So I know that that goes four times. And then below that line, I'll draw another line that would be maybe the chorus or something. And I'll write four little tick marks and I'll put chorus on, on top of that line. And I can get kind of a visual. I look down and say, you know, oh, okay, I know what I'm coming up on. I sort of just write my own visual interpretation of the song. And if there's a bridge, how long is that? Is it two measures? Is it four measures? Is there a solo? All that stuff. And I get kind of a visual, this piece of paper in my mind. And I think that I don't consciously do it, but I think that when I'm playing songs on stage and I'm thinking of how the song goes, I almost visualize that piece of paper, whether I've written out that piece of paper or not. Sometimes I'll write out that piece of paper in my mind and I'll imagine that piece of paper and I'll just remember where the changes go. But I think that I always tend to kind of like visualize a verse and a an intro and a verse and a chorus. And uh, does that chorus, does a solo come after that chorus? And I try to imagine in my mind those lines that I draw to let me know. Because, you know, as a drummer, I don't need to know what key the song is in. 
I don't need to know what the changes are, although it does help to look at a chart and see that it's uh, uh, to see the chord progression, a numbers chart, like the Nashville numbers chart. A one is whatever key the song is in. If it's in A, then A is one. One is A, and then it progresses up the scale from that. You know, one, three, five, seven minor and minor note, which is that that kind of like sad sounding note, you know, when you hit a minor, they'll put a little minus on it. It'll look like seven minus. So it'll be seven minor. And it helps to follow that because if I'm listening to the song and I'm playing it in the studio for the first time and I hear them play a minor note and I see it's that seven minor, I can look at the chart and go, yep, that's where we are right there. The seven minor, there it is. I can reconfirm in my mind that that's where we are on the song. Other than that, I just imagine that line uh, as I'm playing on stage, I'm imagining in my head a little line with those tick marks in it that tell me how many measures that are this the that particular part of the song is, and I just kind of visualize it. Um, other than that, I think that uh, I think most I don't know what most drummers do. I think that some everybody has a different way of doing it. Some drummers just seem to uh, know where the part comes in. It's like a feeling they get. It's like oh, I know there's a big feel coming up here, so they just remember it and they can just know how many beats in their head is four without visualizing anything they just know this is three this is four but me personally i kind of tend to visualize what my mental chart looks like of the song which is really just lines it's just lines and little marks and brackets and verse chorus solo outro that kind of thing um and of course the more you rehearse the song the better everybody's going to know the song and the better it'll be so yeah okay so i have one more question um oh okay this is a good one how do you decide how to set up the drum kit like how does a drummer decide whether he's going to be uh playing the bass drum is it going to be double bass is he going to set the snare up high is he going to set it down low do you sit down low and do you put one tom in front or two in front and two or two down do you do one tom the first tom up in front of you like ringo star used to do and then a floor tom or two floor toms down there or do you put two toms up front and then the floor tom now to me personally i will tell you that i used to do the the two toms up front and the floor tom and then i went to because i wanted to be more visual i wanted them to see me play more so i felt like i was hidden behind those toms and uh, so I tended to put one tom up front and the two down low. It seemed more rock and roll to me, you know, to do that. So I did it for a long time. And then recently, when I redid the kit, I was trying to, I was trying to lessen the, the, the number of stands that I have on the kit just to make it a little bit easier on the crew and my drum tech, Chase, and uh, just everything. So I tried to limit the number of hardware pieces that I have, like cymbal stands. So I put, I went back to the two toms up front, which mount on a one piece of hardware that fits inside the bass drum, on top of the bass drum. So that did away with, with basically a whole stand, a whole nother stand that I was having to use. Or really, a kind of almost two stands, because I used putting one tom on one stand and then uh, another tom on another stand, and I was mounting. They were all like different separate stands. So anyway. And in an attempt to try and slim down the kit a little bit, I mount now. I play. Ba I'm back to the two toms up top, and the one floor tom down low. And I just seem to be more comfortable with that. And that brings me to my answer to this question: How does a drummer figure out how to set things up and that kind of thing? And I think it's just all about comfort and how comfortable comfortable are you playing that kit? You don't want it to be too much where you have to reach way over to get this and reach way over to get that. And you want to be comfortable. You need to be comfortable. But uh, so it's a matter of, of just experimenting around, you know, and I think I started out and, and you're constantly moving things like you're constantly saying, okay, I'll try the hi hat up really high one time. And now that was just, I'm going to lower it a little bit. So you lower it and you find out, oh, that's much more comfortable. And so you kind of evolve into what the kit that you use now as a, as a player, experienced player the more experience you get the more you'll start to move things around like um like oh i remember on this one fill it was hard to reach that tom from the top to the bottom so i'll go with the two rack toms or whatever whatever makes you more comfortable um it's all these little experiments and you try them and they work and you stay with it and that informs how your kit will be set up in the future um i remember it was funny i remember back in the day i used to notice 
that for some reason, drummers from New York, now this was back in the eighties. Okay. Drummers from New York tended to mount their cymbals up super high in the air, like way up high, like on the David Letterman show you saw, uh, I think it was, um, it was either Anton Fig or it was Steve Jordan. I think it was Steve Jordan that played on the David Letterman show. He used to mount his cymbals up really high. And I noticed every time I'd see a drummer from New York, they would put their cymbals up high. Um, it seemed like to me, uh, just my own observation. And drummers from L.A., it seemed like, or anywhere else, mostly from L.A., you would see on music videos and TV and stuff like that, they would mount their cymbals down kind of low or lower anyway. So I don't know if that's a thing or not, if that was uh, because of the recording techniques of the engineers at the time and how they mic'd things. And I have no idea, but uh, I, I did make that observation back then. And so I'm like, why would you mount your cymbals up really high if they're hard to reach? But maybe they were easy to reach. Maybe they didn't want them bleeding into the mics and they mounted them up high like that. So they sounded different. I have no idea. But um, so it's really just a matter of personal choice. Some drummers sit really, really low. I'm a tall guy, so it's hard for me to sit low in the drum stool and my knees up and up high and trying to hit the bass drum with my knee up higher than my torso. So I tend to sit up a little higher where my knee is straight across, like my leg, my upper leg is straight across. And I can get more downward pressure on the kick drum and more positive punch with the kick drum with me sitting up a little higher. So I've just always sat kind of high. Um, also as a matter of being seen, I want to be seen by the audience. I don't want to be buried behind the drums where all you see is the top of my head. So I tend to sit up a little higher so people can see me, see that it's Keith Rainwater back there playing drums. Um, let's see, uh, what else was I going to say about that? Um, that it really, you know, it just really is a matter of personal choice of how you decide to set up your kit, whether it's low, high. Um, but I will say that I did read something about, um, and this seems to me sort of counterintuitive, but it's a thing. Two drummers I can think of. One is the drummer with 21 Pilots, and I his name escapes me. You guys probably may know his name, and I can't remember his name. I know my daughter knows his name because she's a big fan of 21 Pilots. But that drummer, that guy, he tends to play, and I think he said something one time, about playing more visual, being more visual and s setting the drums up to where he has to lift his arms really high and hit them or either that or he, he purposely over extends his arms. So that's more visual. It's more fun to watch him play. You don't want to just sit back there and move your wrists and, and just kind of like be a piece of furniture as a rock drummer. I think you, you're, you owe it to your audience to put on a little bit of a show and to maybe move your arms around a little bit. And Travis Barker, I do know that I did read an article that Travis Barker purposely sets his, and I think it's his toms. He's purposely sets his toms. I hope I'm, I'm, um, I'm saying this right or, or remembering this right of what he had written, that he purposely sets his toms up flat across so that he has to lift his arms up higher to hit him. He has to go through more trouble to hit him which he felt like, if I remember the article right, he felt like it made him a better drummer. And it made him it, it, almost like, uh, like a uh, linebacker would put a parachute on, tie a parachute on and run and practice running because it's making it more difficult. So it makes you a better runner if you, if you, if you make yourself work harder, I guess. Does that make sense? Um, so Travis Barker would do that. He would purposely set his toms up flat to where he has to hit him harder. I mean, he has to, it has to do more work to, to hit him, to reach him and that kind of thing. And, uh, Travis Barker to me is, I mean, honestly, come on, he has got to be one of the best drummers out there. I mean, ever, because I mean, the guy just, he rehearses. I've heard some stories six to eight hours a day. What? Eight hours a day? Six, even six a day, six hours a day playing drums, something as physical as playing drums. I mean, an hour and a half show, I'm sweating and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty much done. Now my arms aren't tired. Like we talked about earlier, my arms aren't tired, but my whole body is. I mean, I've just been playing full drum kit, almost solid for an hour and a half. So yeah, you get tired, but six to eight hours of practice. Not, now, not every single day, I'm sure he takes days off, but the days that he does practice. 
six to eight hours a day. That's just insane. And he's been doing that since he was a kid, right? Um, and, you know, also, he also warms up for a long time before each show. You see him backstage. You can see videos of him on YouTube backstage uh, with his practice kit. It's kind of like a little bunch of pads. And he'll sit there and practice with his right hand and his left hand and his right foot and his left foot and, and do all these paradiddles and stuff like that. Just just getting his muscles warmed up. Now, I do warm up before the show on a practice pad, but it's not for six hours and I don't have a whole, you know, like pad kit back there and all that. I just warm up my hands a little bit, do a little stretching, that thing. And it, I just notice it makes me play a little bit better. Um, so anyway, I hope that answers the questions that you guys have uh, extended out to me. And if you have any more questions, please reach out to me on Facebook, which is Keach Rainwater. And also, um, you can also reach out on the Lone Star um, Facebook page or the Lone Star Instagram, and you can instant message me or whatever. But I am on in- Instagram as Lone Drummer with one M, Lone Drummer. And uh, you could also probably type in Keach Rainwater and that would come up, the Lone Drummer. But it's Lone Drummer with one M. Uh, Lone Drummer, and you can ask me any question you like. I love answering questions, and I love teaching people, and I love uh, being a semi-expert on something, which is definitely drums and drumming and uh, playing live especially, which I've spent most of my career playing live drums and dealing with that whole scenario, good and bad. Um, I've had a great time, a great career, and I'm continuing on to do it. I'm almost 60, and I'm just going to keep doing it until I can't do it anymore. Till they just say that I can't play anymore physically or that I'm just unable to. I will keep playing drums. That is my promise to you um, and myself. So I hope that this has been informative to you, and I hope that uh, hopefully if you have any more questions, please feel free to ask me. I will do my best to answer them on the next podcast. Not the next podcast that I do, but the next podcast that I do where I answer questions, I will try to include those questions in on that podcast and... Uh, Just um, reach out to me and ask me any question you like, and I'll be glad to answer. So everybody have a good day, and I hope you're enjoying your fall. Uh, Thanksgiving's coming up pretty soon, Halloween and Thanksgiving, and soon to be Christmas. I can't believe it's happening so fast, but it is. And the weather has been awesome here in Nashville, and pretty much everywhere we've been out on the road, it's been incredible. I hope it holds and stays like that. It's like a little extended summer. I'm so happy out there riding my one wheel every day and enjoying life playing drums and doing my podcast and um, we will hopefully see you next time and uh, tune in and who knows who i'm going to have next time on my podcast but hopefully it'll be somebody very interesting and fun and you'll tune in so until next time this has been keach rainwater with the designated drummer designated drummer god i can't even say it anymore designated drummer everybody have a great day see you next time bye